Morning, guys. Morning. Morning. Hey, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to be diving into the Word a little bit this morning. And um, I have an opportunity to just get to share something uh, with you guys that's, that the Lord has put in my heart. And something the Lord has even been teaching me and even growing uh, me in, in the last few years. And so uh, I'm just pumped for this morning. So grab your Bibles if you got them. But first, I'm going to pray one more time because whenever I open the Word of God, I want to I want to go before him, and again, as we say, we posture our hearts before God, before we read his word, and I want to you just ask the Lord would even reveal himself more to us this morning through the text. Let's bow our heads one more time. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the gift uh, of your word. Lord, as we even sing um, of the truths we find in scripture this morning, Lord, we know that that your love, it doesn't, it never fails, it never runs out, and it will never give up on us. And God, that these aren't just empty words that we sing, but they're true. And Lord, would we, would these songs not just be so familiar to us, would, would text and scriptures that we see in the Bible that we know so familiarly, would they not just be recognizable to us, but Lord, would they be life-changing? daily. Lord, that as, as your word becomes more and more familiar to us, would it not be become more and more dull, but would it become more and more real? Would it continue to impact our life more and more? And God, would that not just be true of our lives this morning, but every day? Would, we, would you help us this morning? Would you, would you reveal yourself through your word this morning? Would you, or would you even speak through me? Would you give me humility in how I share this morning? And God, that ultimately would, would you be glorified this morning and today and in our lives and, and not ourselves. God, we love you. Would you help us to love you even more? And praise things in your name. Amen. All right, guys. Well, like I said, I got to share something with you guys. It's something that's been on my heart a lot. As I, as I grew up, as, a, as someone, I grew up in the church, and I, I always knew a lot of the right answers, and I always knew what the Bible said, and if anyone else is a Wana kid, I'd probably beat you. I was the ultimate Awana kid. I, did anyone, is anyone still in Awana? Yeah, see, I beat all of you guys. I did Awana through high school. So t I know, I'm a nerd, okay? I get it. Take that. But whether or not you're in Awana for your entire life or you don't even know what Awana is, there's a question that many of us ask and probably still ask and will continue to ask. And the question is, is this, what is... What does God want me to do with my life? And it seems like a big question, and it is a big question. What, is, what does God want us to do with our lives? Or oftentimes we phrase it of, what is God's will for my life? What is God's purpose for my life? And many of you guys, in this next couple months or in the next couple years as high school students, you, you have a lot of big decisions in front of you. And the world puts a lot of pressure on you guys of what are you going to do with your life? And then you go, well, I don't know. What does God want me to do with my life? And sometimes we treat it like this magic eight ball of, of God, where do, where do you want me to go to school? Okay, I didn't say. I don't know. Or what should I do with my life? Should I be, you know, should I be an astronaut? Should I be uh, a scientist? Should I be a salesperson? Should I be a painter? Should I be an athlete? And oftentimes we get so stunted by options. And there's so many options out there. There's 
thousands of schools you could go to. There's thousands of career paths you could choose. You could go to college. You could go to community college. You could not go to school. You could take a gap year. You could go into trade school. You could take over the family business. And then we start going, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so, well, God, well, maybe you'll just show me. And the reality is this, that oftentimes God doesn't necessarily care what job you do because we all have, or what school you're going to go to, or what major you're going to choose, because we all have a greater and first priority. And that is to be a faithful follower of Christ wherever it is that we are in whatever role that you're doing at whatever school you're at. And before you do whatever job it is, it is important that we understand this, that the will of God is for us to be faithful followers of him. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So like I said, if you guys have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, again, close to the New Testament. And just a quick story, and one that might be familiar to many of you guys, and kind of an odd story at times. We're going to be in verse 26. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, kind of through the middle of that chapter. You guys are, as you guys are going there, I'm going to start reading it. You guys can catch up. Verse 26 says, so this is Jesus and the disciples, and they, they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just calmed the storm, if you guys remember that story. And they get to the other side. It says, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out there on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but amongst the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons in the desert. Hold on, guys, you realize that? This guy like breaks out of like handcuffs and chains because of the demons that are in him. And then Jesus asked him, he says in verse 30, he says, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many a demons had entered him, and they begged him, not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let him enter these. So he gave him the permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So they got into the boat and returned. Then the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So in this story, we've got a couple main characters, really, two. You've got Jesus, and you've got a demon-possessed man. Two very different people. Jesus, son of God, man filled with so many demons that they call himself legion. For there's many demons that have possessed him. And Jesus ends up healing this guy. 
This is a man that in his home country, everyone knew who this guy was. He was the lowest of the low. He, he didn't even live in the city. He didn't have a home. He lived amongst the tombs. People were afraid of this guy. They would, they would put him in chains. He didn't wear clothes. He would break out of the chains. He was strong, and he was demon-possessed, and everyone knew it. This is the least likely guy in the eyes of the world that Jesus would approach and talk to. And also the least likely guy in the eyes of the world that Jesus would use. But Jesus heals him, and then what does he do? What's the first thing he tells him after this man goes and says, he says, Jesus, let me come with you. And what does Jesus tell the guy? Well, it says that he tells him, he looks at him, he says, no, don't come with me. He says, return to your home and declare all that I have done for you. And then what's so interesting and what I love about the story is what happens next with this guy is that he doesn't, he doesn't start listing off reasons of why he shouldn't. He doesn't say, well, well, well Jesus, they're afraid of me, or, or Jesus, I don't have any clothes. Well, he actually says he's clothed right there, but he doesn't say, no one likes me, they're afraid of me, I don't have a home, I don't know you, I just met you. What does it say he does? The end of verse 39, it says, and he went away proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. He obeyed. Jesus looked at this guy with zero qualifications, zero credibility, zero rapport with the people from his hometown. And he said, you are who I'm choosing to go declare my name in this place. And he just listens. He didn't start listing off reasons of why he shouldn't. He just knew he had the good news. He'd experienced Christ truly. And he knew who he was, and he knew that it was so important that everyone else knew that also. And so he just obeyed. He listened. And that is the same call for myself and for you guys. And so often we get wrapped up in the, these, these own ideas in our own head that we're not qualified enough. Or we think we're not smart enough or know the Bible well enough or we're not funny enough. And so we start making excuses of why we can't go. But Jesus looks at those excuses and says, it doesn't matter. He just wants us to obey. Another great story. If you guys want to turn, um, I'll turn there real quick. And Mark, um, so just a few books earlier, or one book earlier. Mark chapter 2, and I'm going to again start reading there. It's again another really familiar passage, kind of a different twist on, this, on, a, on a similar story of these, these friends, these three friends who have one other friend who's paralyzed. I can't walk. And Jesus is, is in Capernaum, and this is where these guys live. And it says this, starting in verse 1, it says, When he returned, that being Jesus, to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered there together, so that there was no room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And then they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, these friends, they went up to the roof, and it says they went to the roof above him, and they made an opening, and they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And verse 9, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And then it goes on later, and Jesus actually heals the man. He doesn't just forgive his sins, which is, we'll see, is actually the greater of the two miracles there but he also heals him to where he's able to walk again. Now these, these friends that carried the, the paralytic guy to the house, 
Again, they weren't anything special. The Bible doesn't even give us their names. That's how just normal of guys they are. It just says there were these four friends in this town of Capernaum. They were most likely farmers or shepherds, just your average Joes. It doesn't say that they were the most popular in their town. It doesn't say that they were the richest or maybe the politicians or they, they could speak really well. It just says there were four guys and they knew their friend needed help. And they knew there was only one solution for their friend, and that was Jesus. And they truly believed that. And so they said, it doesn't matter what it's going to take. We're going to bring our friend before Jesus because that is what he needs. They weren't looking for any recognition for everyone. They just had a genuine desire for their friend to hear the good news, for their friend to be saved. And they had faith. In this verse, it's verse 9, or verse 8. Sorry, no, it's verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, meaning the faith of the four friends, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And then again goes on to later heal him. There was nothing the paralytic guy did. Their friends had faith. They knew the power of Christ They didn't make excuses. They didn't show up to the house and say, it's too crowded, oh well, we gotta go home. Nothing we can do. Our friend needs help. We know the only thing we can do is get him to Jesus and we will find every way. No excuses. They just had faith and a genuine desire. They weren't looking for recognition from Christ. They weren't looking for recognition from their friend. That's the last we hear of these guys. And the rest is about the paralytic guy and Jesus. And the same can go for us. They knew they didn't have the power, but they knew that Christ did. And again, they knew they weren't strong enough to heal their friend. They knew they weren't smart enough to heal their friend. They knew they didn't contain the power to make their friend walk again. And the reality is, the same goes for us. Guys, Every single one of us goes through a time where we'll say, man, I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough to share Christ with that person. I'm not smart enough, or I'm not funny enough, or I don't know enough about Scripture. I haven't been a Christian long enough. And the reality is, you're probably not any of those things. And we will never be any of those things. And you will always continue to make excuses until you recognize the power that Christ possesses and not us. Because God is in the business of using people who recognize they are not enough. God uses people who know it is only him that can change hearts and minds. It is him who possesses the power, and it's plastered throughout Scripture. Time and time again, we see God use the least likely person to be the one to proclaim his name, to be the one to heal people, to be the one to bring people back to him. The only requirement to be used by God is that you obey his command to go. You just have to be willing to say yes to Christ and say, yes, I know I'm not enough, but I know you are. And when we recognize that and when we do that, friends, the Lord will do great things through you. I know that because I've seen it in myself and I've seen it again throughout scripture. 
1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, it says, But God uses what is foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise. It says that God uses what is weak in the eyes of the world to shame the strong. God uses what is foolish and weak to shame the world. Why? Because then there is no credit to those people. The credit goes solely to Christ. We love praising ourselves and seeing, hey, look at what I accomplished. Look what I've done. But again, with a mindset that we can't do it, but Christ can, the glory goes to him and goes to him alone. And they said, uses what is foolish and weak in the eyes of the world. This is great news because newsflash, guys, the world thinks that high school students are foolish. People probably look at you guys and will think, your guys are dumb. You're just a kid. Your brain hasn't developed. You're not smart enough. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't have enough life experience. Man, that's great news. Because God, like I said, God is in the business of using the foolish and the weak to shame the world. Not to make fun of them, but so that alone his name would be glorified. Or we see again in 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Let no one look down on you because you are young. But, it says, be the example to all the believers in faith, in word, in conduct, in love, in purity. Guys, yet again, the Bible is telling us to ditch any of those things in our minds that are saying, you are not good enough to share the word of God. You are not good enough to proclaim Christ. You're not smart enough. God says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. I'm sure you guys hear that all the time. Oh, you're just a young kid. You're just a high school student. Again, you don't, you don't have enough life experience. But again, Christ says here, don't let anyone look down on you guys because you're young. But rather, it says this. It says, be the example. Set the standard to every believer, not some believers. Set the example to all the believers of what it looks like to have faith in Christ, of what it looks like to love others, of what it looks like to proclaim his name. That call is not just to people in the Bible time, but to you and I today. This is a command that says, be the example. Set the standard. Be the example back in your youth group. Be the example in your own household. Show your parents what it means to have faith in Christ. Show your friends and your family what it means to proclaim the good news of Christ. He doesn't use us because we're capable Guys, he uses us because we are not. And like I said, when we are not capable and we are forced to rely upon God and his word that transforms and his power, then his name is made known and Christ is glorified, not ourselves. A few years ago, I had an, opportun an incredible opportunity to get to visit some missionaries in Nepal. And these missionaries... Uh, their names are Ben and Kimberly Benedict. And they, they train pastors in Nepal. So they, they live there full time. They live in a really remote village in the Himalayan mountains. And their, their mission is to, to train up men in Nepal to go back into the corners of Nepal and be pastors in their villages. And what's so unique about this is that in Nepal it's currently illegal to, to share the gospel. It is illegal 
to spread Christianity. And not only that, if you are a Christian in Nepal, you are seen as the lowest of the low. Nepal is a country where they're still on the caste system, meaning they rank people in society based off of their, their standing, whether that be off of wealth or job or your family name, whatever it is, you name it. They basically rank everyone in there. And in Nepal, if you claim to be a Christian, you automatically are at the bottom of the food chain. You are seen as less than human. I mean, they look at you, and people won't even acknowledge you. They'll walk right past you. They won't shake your hand. They won't say hi. If they know you're a Christian, they look at you and say, you're not even worthy to be a human. And if, even if you were raised in the richest of the richest family, and you were the top of the totem pole, top of the caste system in Nepal, and then you say, I'm a Christian, boom, automatically put at the bottom. Your family... They pretend you don't exist. They kick you out of the family and say, you can't use our family name anymore. You get kicked out of your household. You get, kicked out, you get kicked out of your hometown. They don't want you to be a part of their culture anymore. They think you are other. And what I got to experience when I was out there was incredible because I saw men, Nepalese men, who have found the truth and said, I don't care what Nepal has to say about who I am. In fact, they boast in the fact that Nepal looks at them and says, I'm not even a human anymore because of why what we just talked about. God uses what is weak and foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the strong, and they say, that's me. I get to be a part of that. But not only that, these men will literally walk for days. Some of them walked for eight days across the country of Nepal to go and meet with Ben, this guy who trains pastors. They, walk, they hike through the Himalayas with nothing on them except for the clothes on their back and a Bible and a pen and a paper so they can take notes. And they go back, they go to Ben, they train with him for a few weeks, and then they go home. They go back to their hometown where they have been kicked out. They go back to the people that don't, think they are human anymore so that they can share the love of Christ with them because they now know these people don't think I'm good enough and I'm not, but Christ through me. As we even saying, it says, yet not I, but Christ in me. They understand that. And they're willing to do it because the Bible tells them to. It tells them in Matthew, verse 28, again, a very familiar to people who have probably grown up in the church it's called the Great Commandment, or the Great Commission, sorry. And it starts in verse 16. And it's right after Jesus has been crucified, and he rose again, and he comes back to the disciples. And this is the last thing he says to the disciples before departing from the earth. In verse 18, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This verse right here, if you ask those, those guys in Nepal why they are willing to hike upon, for days upon days, why are they willing to be kicked out of their family, 
Why are they willing to be seen as low as the low and give up everything? Some of these guys have literally given up everything. They had it all. They were wealthy. They had the right family name. They could marry who they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted. And they said, I'm willing to give it all up for the sake of knowing Christ and for the sake of others knowing him. And then this is what fuels them. They say, why do you do it? He said, because Jesus tells me to. The Bible commands us to go into all nations. They go back to their hometowns and they share. And what fuels them even more is it says in Matthew 9.35, a little bit earlier in this book, it says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Meaning there are people that are ready, their hearts are ready to hear the gospel. They just need someone to share it with them. Romans 10 says, how then will they hear if no one goes and tells them? Is there, are, there are people all around the world, in the mountains of the Himalayas and Nepal, in the remote islands of Papua New Guinea, people in Asia and Africa, and people in our, even in our own hometowns that are ready to hear the good news. We just have to be willing to go. Do we feel the burden? Do we understand that there are people that when they die are not going to be with Christ because they don't know him? That is a heavy burden, but it is real. And get this, guys, no one is too far gone to be used by Christ. And we talked about that at the beginning when we look at the guy who, he, who literally was possessed by a thousand demons. God still chose to use him. No one's too far gone to be used by Christ. But also, no one is too far gone to be saved by Christ. And oftentimes, that becomes one of our number one excuses. We look at someone and go, there's no way this person is going to come to Christ. It just can't happen. That missionary that I was talking about that lives in Nepal, Ben, is one of those guys. He was one of the least likely guys on the planet to be used by Christ. Because Ben, for most of his life, was a drug addict. And Ben ended up making a pretty big name for himself in the drug and the cartel world. He lived in the Midwest, and he ran a drug operation and became so big that he was actually feared by cartel leaders in Mexico, a white guy from Oklahoma. They feared him. He was wanted by the local police, the FBI, and the CIA. And one day, Ben's life caught up to him. And he was finally arrested, and he was sentenced to 300 years in prison. 300 years. That's a long time. A very long time. Ben got put into prison. He escaped prison. He got caught. He got put into a better prison. And he was put into solitary confinement where he would spend the rest of his life not seeing anyone except for the prison guards that interact with him and bring him his food. And there was one prison guard in, this, in his cell block that every day for two years would share the gospel with Ben. 
when he brought him his food. Every day for two years, this prison guard shared the good news with Ben. And one day it clicked. And Ben said, the guy came up to his prison cell and he said, hey, I'm ready. I want to accept Christ as my Lord. as the Savior of my life. And he did. And then Ben was still in prison. And a year later, miraculously, a judge commuted Ben's sentence, meaning the judge looked at Ben and said, you're free to go. That's it. Signed a paper. Don't know why. Don't know why. It doesn't make sense. This guy was supposed to spend his whole entire life, 300 years, more than his entire life in prison, and somehow a judge looked at him and said, you know what, you're good to go now. And Ben got out of prison, and you know what he did? He said, I gotta share the good news. Someone shared it with me, and now the only thing I can do with my life, the most important thing I can do with my life is to share the good news of Christ with others. Why? Because that is what the Lord commands him to do. For that year in, in his prison cell, all he did was read the Bible, and he understood the call for his life, and he thought he was never going to be able to do anything about it because he was gonna spend the rest of his life alone in a cell, and he said, I now have the opportunity to share the good news with others, and so I must go. He felt the burden. He understood the consequences. And better yet, he understood the joy of knowing Christ and knew that he wasn't good enough, but Christ had told him to go, and so he said, there's nothing I can do but share the good news. And there's a sense of urgency with it. God had a plan for Ben's life. And Ben, after getting out, he said, I need to do this quick because I don't know when it's someone's last day. The Bible says in Acts that Jesus is returning, but we don't know the date or time. The Bible says that, that Jesus one day is going to return and he's going to be like a thief in the night. We won't be expecting it and all of a sudden it's going to happen. Well, the Bible's also very clear with us that our days are numbered. Our time on earth is fleeting it is quickly going away. And none of us know when we will breathe our last breath or when someone else will. And that is the urgency. Because he is coming. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, everyone will be judged before a holy God. Everyone will stand before God and have to give an account for their life. And they will either be seen as a follower of Christ and get to spend eternity with him, or they will be seen as an enemy and they will live eternally in separation from Christ in hell. And that is not something to scare you guys, but rather to instill a sense of urgency in myself and in you guys. Because I know that every single one of us knows someone in our life that doesn't know Christ. It might be a brother or a sister, a parent, a friend, a teammate, a classmate, a coworker, a random person on the street. There are people who do not know Christ. And we have the good news. And the most selfish thing we can do is say, I don't want to ruin my reputation. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't speak well enough. So I'm just not going to share the good news with someone. That is the most selfish thing we can do. And it's disobeying God. God calls us to share the good news. If we don't go, who will? And guys, what is holding us back? 
We gotta stop letting our insecurities be the thing that's holding us back. Our fear of other people, what they're gonna think of us. Again, the Bible's clear that as Christians, the world's gonna hate us. And in some countries, that's the reality. Nepal, China, many other nations, the reality is that they hate Christians. In America, we claim to be a Christian nation, but yet many of us are still afraid to proclaim Christ. Why? Because it ruins our social status at school. Because we think people are gonna make fun of us because of our morals. We're more afraid of our reputation than we are of people's eternal standing with Christ. We gotta get that out of our heads. God is bigger than all that. God is better than your social status. God is, you might lose some friends over it. And get this, you may even share the love of Christ with someone and they might say, no thanks, I'm good. Or they might be more mean about it. They might just walk away, it might get awkward, you might lose friends. But guess what also? We don't know what our obedience to Christ, how it's going to impact someone down the road. We don't get to determine who comes to Christ and who doesn't and when they come to Christ and when they do not. That is up to God. Our job is strictly obedience. Our job is to say, I will share the good news with that person. A dear friend of mine, something he says often and reminds me of is this, is that we don't know what our impact on people is going to have this side of eternity. Again, meaning you might share the gospel with someone today. That seed might not come to fruition for 30 years. But that, that decision's not up to us. You don't know that something you said, something you did, how you interacted with someone is going to change someone's life 40 years down the road. They might have a moment when they're 60 years old and go, man, I remember what this person said to me when I, was, when I was 18, and it makes sense. And now I do want to know about that God, and I'm ready. Because the best thing that we get to hold on to is that numbers are not up to us. You look at guys like, like Jeremiah and Nehemiah in the scriptures who spent their lives devoted to proclaiming Christ and some of them, Jeremiah only saw one person come to know Christ in his lifetime that's documented in scripture. One person after spending 70 years of his life proclaiming Christ, he saw one person come to know the Lord. But guess what? We still read about it today. And his faithfulness is changing lives thousands of years later. He didn't know that was gonna happen. God is using faithfulness of men and women all the time to affect the lives of generations after they have come again because it is not us, but it is Christ in us. It is Christ through us. In the same way, that prison guard that faithfully shared the gospel with Ben, he as well thought that Ben was gonna spend the rest of his life in prison. So what was he doing wasting his time every day for two years sharing the good news with one guy? He wasn't wasting his time because he knew that Ben was worth it and that Ben needed to know Christ and he knew that Ben wasn't too far gone because again, no one's too far gone to be used by Christ. And guess what? 
the faithfulness of that prison guard is now affecting the lives of men and women in Nepal. The faithfulness of a prison guard from Oklahoma is being used by Christ through Ben to share and train up pastors in Nepal who are then going into the most remote places in the Himalayan mountains and sharing the good news with men and women who would never have heard if that prison guard wasn't faithful. Not once, not twice, but every day for two years. That's obedience. That is faithfulness. And the impact that that prison guard will not know until one day he gets into heaven and will get to see men and women who know Christ because Ben went to Nepal and Ben shared with pastors and those pastors shared with people and those men and women raised up families in the faith. And none of those guys take credit, but they all say, it is the power of Christ through me. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He says this is our spiritual act of worship. Guys, we've got to stop making excuses of why we can't share the good news. We have to stop. We must be obedient. We don't spread the good news because we have to. But we spread it because we can't not. Because when you truly understand the good news of Christ, that Jesus has saved us from our sins, that he has changed our eternity from death into life with him, and we understand what we deserve, but we also understand the mercy that Christ has shown us, and that he's clothed us in our righteousness, our response is not to stay silent, but our response is to say, I will be obedient to your call, and I will give it all back to you. I give you the glory, God, and I want to show other people that as well. Christ followers proclaim Christ. We need to proclaim Christ. Guys, we need to feel the burden for the lost. Don't leave it to someone else, up to someone else to share the good news with someone. You be the one to do it. You got it? I know it takes boldness, but again, remember, Christ gives us the boldness. You might look like a fool doing it, but remember what we said, Christ uses the fools to shame the wise. It's not about how well you speak. It's not about who you are. It's about who Christ is. Be obedient to the call. Do we feel the urgency? We ought to. We need to. Do we understand that if someone we know who doesn't know Christ dies today, they spend eternity apart from Christ. Death is real. Eternity is real. And it always will be. And on this, Hebrews 12, 13, 20, verse 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that the great shepherd of sheep would equip you with everything good for doing his will. God equips us for everything good of his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the good news. 
Lord, I thank you for who you are. Lord, that you choose to use us as imperfect humans, Lord, as sinful men and women who are not powerful enough to change hearts and minds, but Lord, you choose to work through us to save and to bring people back to you. God, would we recognize that this morning? Lord, would this message even sink deeper into my own heart? And Lord, would I even have a greater understanding of the destiny of those who do not know you? Would I have a greater urgency for the lost? Lord, would I rely on your strength and yours alone? And would everyone in this room understand that as well? Lord, I I would ask that you would even give the men and women in this room boldness to share Christ with people that they know don't know him. Lord, I know, would would you even put someone on every one of our minds this morning? Lord, who we know doesn't know you. Would you put someone on my mind? And Lord, would I have the boldness to do whatever it takes to share the love of Christ with that person, whether it be a phone call or driving hours upon hours to, f- to see them and talk to them. Lord, will we stop making excuses? Would I rely upon your strength alone and make no excuses at all? God, we love you. Would you help us to love you more? We pray these things in your name. Amen.